Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. I am here on my own. I'm going to take you through a little bit of news at the top of the show. Then I have an interview with my friend Ben Natan, who is one of the artistic directors for the new organization No Exit Theater Collective that has been doing live readings via Zoom of some classic plays. And they have another one coming up this Friday is of Hamlet. So we're going to talk to him about that and what it's like for an early career actor to all of a sudden have to deal with the fact that there just is no theater. Um, so we got to have a great conversation. We will have that at the end of this episode. Don't forget, if, if you are hearing this, there's a good chance that you might have found it in our Patreon feed. That be, that's because all of our episodes with interviews come out there first, and then they come out in our regular feed later. So if you want to get all of our interviews, and we've got a ton of them planned, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. Okay, let's get into the news, and most importantly, on Tuesday, the Actors' Equity Association, the Union for Theater Actors and Stage Managers, had a conference call in which they outlined the requirements that would need to be in place for the union to approve members returning to work. The first thing that former Assistant Secretary of OSHA, David Michaels, said that would be required for actors to return is for the coronavirus to be under control in the area that performers would be going back to work. Obviously, circumstances will be quite different in each of the varying locales in the country depending on where the productions take place. Next, the individual productions would have to have a plan in place in order to both test and then isolate any members of the company who contract COVID-19. This could also require the hiring of extra understudies or swings in order to potentially cover any performers who had to self-isolate putting the company at a disadvantage. Then the physical theater building itself should have accommodations to limit cramped quarters backstage and to disinfect props and shared spaces. And finally, the last bit is that everybody involved in the production in some sort, I'm sure with some sort of representation for them, have to agree on all of the measures in place and they have to meet often to assess and revise the plans as necessary. Additionally, AEA Executive Director Mary McCall admitted that from a financial standpoint, socially distanced performances might be difficult, if not impossible, but she does believe that those theaters and productions that choose to socially distance their audiences could have a shorter on-ramp to having the performances start than companies and productions that do not. As many of you know, I live in Orlando, and on Wednesday morning, Disney World will be unveiling their reopening plan, so I am very interested in whether or not what they plan to do in their various parks and rides and attractions uh, becomes some sort of blueprint for these types of reopenings, and if theaters might be able to borrow some best practices from the House of Mouse. In other news yesterday, New York City announced that they have opened up 43 miles of streets to allow pedestrians to walk, bike, and run in a socially distancing safe manner. The goal had been to open up 40 miles by the end of the month, thus exceeding it already, with a plan to open up a total of 100 miles in total eventually. We will have a link to all of these street closures in the show notes if you would like to check that out. Okay, moving on to some traditional theater news. On Tuesday, playwright Jeremy O'Harris and the Bushwick Star announced they plan to distribute $500 grants to 152 playwrights. The grants will be supported by the licensing fees and publishing royalties of Harris's slave play. 
The application process will open up on Friday and will cap at 1,500 submissions. While the winners will be selected at random and are not merit-based, scripts and or excerpts are required. The grants will be issued on June 15th. Harris said of the project, quote, After a year of surprising abundance from a mix of luck and dedication to the pet project, I'll explain what that means in a second, of being a playwright, I thought it prudent to do my part to aid in some small way with the relief our government deems unnecessary for our community. That point of clarification, the pet project term that he said is a reference to what the president called the Kennedy Center. He said that it was a pet project for the left, and that's why they got the $25 million. But back to the point at hand, with every move that he makes, I become more and more impressed with Jeremy O. Harris. We've talked about how fantastic his initiatives were to keep ticket prices to slave play affordable and to bring in underserved populations to the show on Broadway. And I, I, I'm starting to feel like him much like I feel about Lin-Manuel Miranda in, in this arena. Harris clearly has a lot of passions and beliefs in how he thinks theater in the community should be. And he's gone above and beyond to make those things a reality. And he is putting his money where his mouth is. And I'm incredibly impressed by him. I continue to be encouraged by the many undoubtable ways that he will continue to change the theater in the future. And I am almost certain that they will almost all be for the better. In other news, yesterday, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS announced that on Friday, they will live stream a one night only evening of song and dance called Cheetah Rivera, a legendary celebration. The live stream will start at 8 p.m. and will feature footage from the concert, but it'll also include new interviews with Cheetah Rivera from her home done by Broadway World's Richard Rich. And finally, perhaps honestly, the biggest news of the day, week, year, uh, decade, I don't know. Um, but our dear friend Robbie Rizel officially has a release day for his album Songs from Inside My Locker. Broadway Records will be releasing the recording on my birthday, June 26th. It's not the In the Heights movie, but I'll take Robbie's album anyway. I feel like Robbie really just wanted to make my birthday special because it was in the middle of this pandemic. So that's when they decided to release the album. I, I, I super appreciate that, Robbie. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to finally be able to hear this, uh, what I'm sure is going to be a super special album. All right, let's move on to some real quick feel-good recommendations. Yesterday, Play Per View announced that they will be presenting a live Zoom reading of the Pulitzer Prize finalist play by Will Arbery, Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Not only will it be directed by the original off-Broadway director, uh, Danya Tamor, it'll feature the original off-Broadway cast. And since so much of the discussion about this play centered on the darkness and the use of lighting and design, um, they are figuring out ways they are working with the original designers to make at least something similar to that via Zoom. The performance will take place on Saturday, June 13th at 8 p.m. You can get tickets at varying pricing tiers. Some of them have already sold out. I got my ticket. I know Ashley got her ticket. Um, and we're hoping to get in touch with somebody from the production to be able to talk about it before uh, it comes up here in a few weeks. So highly recommend jumping on that before all of the various ticket prices uh, are gone. And then finally in here, the great and the good Beth Malone did one of Broadway World's living room concerts in which she sang Ring of Keys. I feel like I talked, yeah, Ashley and I talked about this a couple days ago when Sidney Lucas uh, joined somebody else doing it. It's just such a special song. And to hear Beth Malone sing it is truly, 
truly amazing. So you get to see Big Allison singing a Little Allison song. It's super special. So check that out in the show notes. All right, let's close it out now with my interview with Ben Natan, one of the artistic directors from the No Exit Theater Collective. They will be doing a live Facebook reading of an abridged version of Hamlet because no one wants to watch a Zoom of the whole three, four hour thing. Um, this Friday, May 29th at 7 p.m. They have already done readings of Hedda Gabler and Much Ado About Nothing. They are doing what they're calling it a fortnightly reading series. So it's every two weeks on Friday. I think we're going to have some really cool stuff going on with them in the future. So stay tuned for that. But I'm super excited about this. Ben is a is a friend of mine. We actually met through our sports writing side gigs. So uh, kind of odd about that. But you can also contribute to No Exit via their tip jar on Venmo. It's at noexit-tc. And then the any money collected will be distributed to all of the performers involved with the upcoming production. So take a listen to this interview with Ben. And thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. Also, don't forget to head over to Patreon.com slash Broadway Radio to hear all of our interviews before you can get them in the regular feed. Have a great hump day, everybody. Enjoy this interview with Ben Natan, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Hello. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, Where are you at exactly? I am in uh, Pennsylvania right now. Staying oh, with my, yeah, I'm with my family. Seems like a, a good place to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I keep on telling people I'm in the best possible situation given the circumstances. I, uh, I, was, working, I was working for a theater company in North Jersey when this was all right. going down. And then one weekend I just packed up and, and left. It was about like an hour and a half drive back to my house and told my girlfriend to get out here. And we've been out here for three months now. So, <laughs> And no end in sight, I assume. No, yeah, no, no end in sight. It's uh, Pennsylvania has some sort of reopening plan for the summer, but we're 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 trying to stay as safe as possible uh, because I'm basically here taking care of my family because my grandparents are here, my mom's here, we have another person who lives here, um, and all various forms of immunocompromised. So I'm the person who like goes out and gets groceries and supplies wow. for everybody. So I'm just doing what I can to help them out while I'm here. Yeah. Seems like a, a good option on all accounts. Get you out of the city and, and help out family. But can you go into detail a little bit about what you were doing before this all happened? Because you were doing like, were you doing a tour of shows? What was it exactly that you were working on? Yeah, so I was working with Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. Uh, we were doing an educational tour of Midsummer Night's Dream and Julius Caesar. We were actually only in our second week of touring. Uh, our first full week of like actually going out to different schools and it was about midweek where we had schools starting to cancel on us uh, because of COVID. And then I think it was it was Friday. We had a show out by the Jersey Shore at some public theater. Uh, we did a production of Midsummer, and we were like loading up the van uh, after the show. And I turned to one of the actors and I said, you know, I think we just did our last show. And he goes, oh, you know, that's that's crazy. And we actually went back to the theater. Um, like the big studio that they have in North Jersey. And we had a swing rehearsal um, that afternoon. And then that Saturday, I, I really got spooked. And I was like, I'm going to just move out. I'm going to move out a bunch of my stuff to my house preemptively, because I don't know what this what, what this is all going to be like. And we didn't have a gig on Monday. So we had a day off on Monday. Um, so I was in in Pennsylvania 
And on Monday, we had a big phone call with the whole company basically say we're shutting it down for the time being for like, it was like a six week period that we were shutting down. We'd reassess in early May, um, but it became evident about two weeks in that it just wasn't ever going to happen, which is disappointing um, because there was a company of actors. I mean, there was, uh, I think, 10 of us between the actors and the, the tour manager who were part of this, this operation. And, and, you know, we were all kind of, uh, left without work. Obviously the company did, did a really amazing thing and left company housing open to the actors to stay there for the entire, uh, period of what the contract would allow for. Um, so there was a couple actors who came in to do this tour from Cincinnati, from Florida, uh, from Denver, uh, from Texas. So they had the opportunity to stay in North Jersey and, and get this this free housing, which was absolutely amazing thing to do for the uh, from the company. Yeah, and it seemed like from following along as you were going through the rehearsals and the early part of the tour, I mean, this is a group of young actors early in their career for the most part. Like, getting a gig like this is a, a big deal, and then have it cut short had to really be devastating for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I think the oldest actor in our company was 27 years old. So all very early career actors. A few of us were fresh out of college. I mean, I, I graduated only two years ago. Um, and the the thing with this specific contract was at Shakespeare Theater, New Jersey, all of the actors were uh, basically had like an option to go into the main stage company at the end of the at the end of the touring contract which would have given oh, wow. them EMC points or in some cases, depending on the roles they w- we were given uh, based on like special auditions that we got um, potentially getting our equity cards. Um, so it was a lot of actors who not only, you know, early career, but also an opportunity to kind of be on the cusp of taking the next step in, in one's career. So there was a lot of, of frustration from that. I mean, even before this tour for me, um, I was working with Pennsylvania Shakespeare uh, we, in another tour, we were doing a tour of the Scottish play. Um, and I had plans actually to work with them this summer. So it, I mean, there was, I mean, I mean, it's, it's the same case for basically a lot of working actors is that there was a lot of, I mean, you know, summer is obviously a time for a lot of regional theater work to be done, uh, equity points, union work, lots of good money. Um, and that's all disappeared. Yeah, and we want to get into the No Exit Theater Collective, but I'm really interested because a lot of the people that we hear from so often are, you know, the established stars. They're the ones doing a ton of interviews. You know, we know they might have a Broadway gig to come back to if Broadway ever comes back. But I'm really kind of interested in what this means for not just you specifically, but your friends, your contemporaries, your colleagues. How do you adjust to this of having to not only be at home just from a personal standpoint, but from a professional and financial standpoint, what are you and your, a lot of your friends and colleagues and, and contemporaries doing to deal with this sudden shutdown? It's, it's really tough because, you know, the, the world of theater isn't necessarily stopping um, in terms of, you know, theater companies are trying to look towards the future. They're trying to do casting calls um, as much as they can, you know, send in self tapes. And a lot of actors are being supported by the idea that, that that will come back. But there is a harsh reality where, you know, if we're headed towards, you know, beyond COVID, if we're headed towards a, a serious financial depression, um, the things that will be left in the dust are smaller regional theater companies. A lot of those companies are the places where young actors get their start. Um, 
And for some of the bigger regional companies, you know, they're still prioritizing equity actors, which, you know, of course they should be and, and will be. Uh, but it, it creates a, a really scary vacuum for a lot of young actors who, like I said, might have been on the cusp of reaching equity status, who had a, you know, a big break or a big job coming. Um, so in terms of supporting ourselves, you know, I know in my case, I, it fills me with dread to go onto Playbill or onto Backstage to look at job listings because uh, just a lot of them are like equity only calls. A lot of them, you know, it's all self tapes and they're going to be looking. I mean, I'm used to sending in self tapes, but it's a little bit different when you send in a self tape, you know, a couple months ago and you're like, okay, well, maybe they're going to look at this. Whereas now it's like they're probably getting so many self tapes that they're only looking at the equity ones, um, of course. And it, it feels that kind of stuff feels very futile and it's very defeating. Um, financially, you know, a lot of actors have other side gigs that they're doing um, as much as they can. I know some, I mean, a lot of us are ending up on unemployment, uh, but a lot of actors have jobs working as servers, working as baristas. Um, and some of them are put in a position where they're able to work um, in like curbside situations. And then other, you know, for me, you know, the thing I do on the side is I do fitness consulting. So I'm trying to build like at home workout plans for people and make a little extra cash. I mean, I'm very blessed to be with my family right now. So I'm getting support from them um, just living at home. Uh, but it's, I mean, people, when people think about, you know, the acting industry or the, the theater industry, um, they think about Broadway and they think about kind of established, you know, regional, regional work. But there is, I mean, it is a, it is a working class profession and there are thousands and thousands of people who are in this profession who don't have money to necessarily sit on. Um, and this, this whole COVID thing as for everyone puts them in a very, you know, financially precarious situation. So it's, it's really tough. So, one of the things that I know you're doing in addition to building online workouts with, if anybody follows you on social media, they know that you work out a lot. So you probably know what you're doing. Um, but the uh, you have started a theater collective, No Exit Theater Collective, and you are doing uh, shows. Is it every other Friday? Is that the, the schedule right now? Yeah. So right now we're, we're doing what we're calling a, a fortnightly reading series. And it, it, it all started uh, like about a month and a half ago. I was sitting on my couch and uh, one of my family members actually sent me uh, a translation of a play of uh, Hedda Gabler. And I was sitting on my couch and I was reading it and I was really trying to get into it. And I go, this sucks. I, I shouldn't be doing this by myself. I can't read a play by myself. I've never been able to really read a play by myself. Um, so I said, I'm going to go on, I'm going to go on Facebook. I'll just make a small Facebook group. I'll invite some of my friends. And then as I was clicking through on Facebook and trying to invite people that I'm friends with or people that I've worked with, people that I really respect, I'm like, okay, well now there's, there's 60 people in this Facebook group. Okay. Now there's 80 people in this Facebook group. And then it got to a point where as I was going through, I was like, well, what if we just made this a thing? What if we all read plays together and maybe read plays for other people? So the first show that we did, we did a production of Much Ado About Nothing. We cut it down to about two hours. Um, we read it between a cast of, I believe, 11 actors, uh, professional actors. Um, and it was amazing. And people, the you know, we had about 40 or 50 people watching. And the responses that we got, you know, likened it to a really good radio play. And, you know, our takeaways from the initial performance were, okay, this is really good. We can build on this. Um, maybe not two hours. Two hours is a long time to be sitting down for either the actors or for the people watching. So let's get, you know, tighter cuts. And obviously at this point, you know, we're working with public domain stuff. Um, 
And right. so the second show we did was Hedda Gabler. We had a really nice translation of Hedda Gabler, not the same translation that I was reading uh, to start this all off, but it was a, about a 70 minute cut. We got uh, six, six actors in there and we really leaned into the idea of it being a radio play, you know, with a two week turnaround for the stuff, you know, only about six days of total of actual rehearsal. My thought process as I was, you know, quote, directing these readings was like, this is really an aural medium. We're doing as much for these stories to be heard more so than being seen. So we were doing some stuff with with the visual component, but really leaning into the the shows being heard doing stuff like having the actors read their own stage directions to give it that more audiobook radio play vibe and our second reading went off even more uh you know successfully and we added um a no exit tip jar so just on venmo uh at no exit dash tc um people were able to give money and it would split it would be split equally across all of the theater artists who are participating in that particular week from the director to the actors to our wonderful technical director um, and, and, you know, that's where we're at right now. So we did had a gabbler about two weeks ago, and now we're currently working on a production of Hamlet. So it's, it's been growing every week and at the core of it, we want it to be this, you know, this fortnightly reading series as an opportunity for actors to be consistently creating, you know, flexing and stretching those creative muscles, um, while also bringing stories to people through Zoom. You know, we stream on Facebook, we're working on trying to figure out how to stream through YouTube. Um, but at this point, we're realizing that there is so much more potential for this collective of theater artists beyond just this fortnightly reading series. We've had, act we've had actors and other creatives reach out about doing play workshops where like new works that the that writers i mean no there's no actor on the in the world who is just an actor actors are writers they're directors they do technical stuff they are dancers they're singers and similarly there are writers who are actors and directors who are actors so it, everyone in in this collective there's a multitude of talents that are there and people want to be able to exercise those uh, creative talents that they have. So we have writers reaching out and they want to do workshops. We have singers who want to do cabarets. Um, there are people who want to, and right now we're in the process of working on a Zoom specific piece of theater that really uses the medium to its advantage. And it's, it's really exciting. You know, what felt like a, a very hopeless moment in theater Four, uh, four weeks ago for a lot of these actors, you know, we now have an ability to create on a weekly basis and do things that we didn't think were possible. I mean, Zoom is this completely uncharted waters. And when things look bleak, uh, you know, in the future for, you know, regional theater and small theater, um, we need to adapt. And luckily with a lot of these younger theater artists, we're used to adapting because that's what we've had to do our entire careers. And our thought process right now is like, we could either be a part of the fall of American theater, or we can be part of the Renaissance. Um, and when we don't know what the future looks like for a lot of theaters across this country, we are trying to put ourselves in a position where we can create that future for ourselves. And there is this hunger, there is this excitement with the artists that we've brought together, um, where we think that something actually really special can be can come out of this what's something that started out as like this colloquial little club um we are we're trying to build something where it's a, a creative union of all these different artists who are able to bring art accessibly to people across the country and it's super exciting yeah i mean and that sounds like something that not only can be good for 
the shutdown, lockdown, pandemic time that we're in, but something that can be transformed as we move forward, even if it stays in the virtual realm at some point, you know, might be able to branch out into live in real life in person spaces uh, in the future, because like you said, things are going to be changing. The regional theater landscape, the New York theater landscape that we know and have gotten used to uh, is going to change. And I think it's really, we've been talking about it on Broadway Radio, that things will have to change. And it's an opportunity for theater to really make adjustments that are probably a long time coming. And I think that stuff like this is a wonderful way for artists to get together to start making those those changes happen. So this next one is coming up on May 29th, Friday, May 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You have a cast of 10. Can you tell me a little bit about, real quick, the cast uh, that you've uh, put together for this show? The, the cast for Hamlet. This is the first cast, actually, that I've worked with that doesn't, that didn't include actors that I've worked with before. Um, we're oh, at the point... Yeah, it's 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 really exciting. We're at the point in the process of the group where artists that I know and trust and have worked with and, and love and respect their work, they're bringing in artists that they know and trust and love and respect their work. And by nature of me trusting my friends, I'm also trusting their friends. Um, so it's really exciting to be put into a creative space with people that I haven't necessarily worked with before. And we have a, a really great cast. Um, Claire Toomey, who is a new new graduate, uh, she is going to be playing Hamlet. Um, Caitlin McCain uh, from Stella Adler at NYU, she'll be playing Ophelia. Um, we have really great theater artist Henry Sheeran, who is a phenomenal playwright and actor from New York. He is going to be playing um, our, our our Rosenstern track, uh, which is really exciting. We had to elide some of the characters to, in this condensed script. Um, <laughs> I like Nicole Polini. Uh, yeah, Nicole Polini is another really good actor. We have uh, uh, she will be playing Gertrude. I mean. I, I could go through it and, and wax poetic about the whole cast. It's a really, really great group of actors. Very, very creative. Um, and I and except for two actors, it is a brand new group um, from the last two readings that we've been doing. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to turn over and have new people come in for every show because we want to give the actors an opportunity to see this theater while also bringing in tons of new people to actually watch it. Um, and we're going to probably be sticking with that uh, MO for the next couple of readings. I love it. That's great. I'm uh, really excited to to watch this one. I will have a link to all of the social media stuff and where everybody can follow along with the No Exit Theater Collective and, and watch the live stream on Friday night. Um, but Ben, I, I'm super impressed by this. I, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that, that you could do with this. I think we're going to have to get used to watching a lot of theater uh, online, but I think that if we allow artists to really lead that charge, um, it could be something that has a lot of value, even if it's not what, what exactly we're used to. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> 